Thank you for supporting the media outreach of New Covenant Christian Ministries. Through the powerful preaching and teaching of Pastor Bill and Dr. Deanne Johnson, family relations are being restored. The wayward are returning to God. And together, we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Join us now for a message that will strengthen you in your faith and encourage you to be all that God has designed you to be. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll get to that in just a moment. In fact, when I get to Matthew chapter 16, you know I'm about to land this baby here. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the miracles that Jesus did, all the miracles that Jesus did, if you were to combine all those miracles, there are 37 miracles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, some people say there are 39. That is, if you count two more, the one would be his virgin birth, and the other one would be his resurrection that we just celebrated. But apart, if you were to take those two out, there are 37 miracles that Jesus did himself in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Can someone tell you what is the one, tell me what's the one and only miracle that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Our 37 miracles, there's only one miracle that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Can someone tell me which one that is? Feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, you were here on the first service. (laughs) Feeding of the 5,000. That's what preachers have lovingly called it. But the Bible says uh, 5,000 men. And there have always been more women and children in church, so let us say 10,000 on the low side. There are 10,000 people that are needing food. It is evening time. So Jesus asked his disciple, in fact, he's named, his name is Philip. He asked Philip, where can we get some food to feed them? 10,000 people. Where? Now, you remember in those days, they didn't have Mickey D's and KFC's and all those things around. So where can we get the food? Philip's answer is quite interesting. So Jesus asked a where question. Everyone say where. So when you say where, you're assuming that there is food. If I was to say to you, after the service, where are we going for lunch? That assumes what? We are going to lunch. The question is, how much money you want to spend, right? Where? Philip's answer is quite intriguing. Instead of answering uh, Jesus a where answer, he gives him a how answer. And says to him, how can we feed them? It'll cost 200 denarii, which in our time would be four to $5,000 back then. How are we going to feed them? The question is where? His answer is how? Isn't that just like us? God is promising us a blessing and saying, all you need to do is get there. It's a where question. And we say to him, how is that going to happen? So Jesus says to them, we've still got to feed them. Bring me some food. So they went sniffing for food. And they had, this food had to be sniffed food. Because there was fish involved. <laughs> so there, there, there was this boy who was carrying some fish and chips. 
His mama had fixed him with two fishes and five loaves of bread. And I you know because if it was a hot dog, they would never have found the hot dog. Now, I know preachers have preached all these years that the boy gave his lunch. No, he didn't give his lunch. They snatched his lunch. I don't know if any kid, the only one among 10,000 people with lunch, you say, here, 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 take this. Because we know the rest of the story, what Jesus did with it. This boy didn't know that. So the mafia showed up, also known as disciples. You can see the big old boys and, you know, their robes and everything surrounding the boy saying, it's here somewhere. The boy's hiding his lunch. It's here somewhere. Andrew smells the lunch, gets the lunch, takes it to Jesus. Jesus blesses it, breaks it, distributes the food. Over 10,000 people are fed. And then they have 12 baskets you know, the takeaway. When you go to a restaurant, you say, pack this up for me. The 12 baskets are takeaway with them. But that happens in the evening. And I don't want to preach about that miracle. What I want to share with you is what led up to the miracle. So what's happened in the day till this miracle takes place? The day starts with Jesus getting news that John the Baptist has just been beheaded. Who is John the Baptist? John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. His mother's name is Elizabeth. Jesus' mother's name is Mary. They are cousins. Uh, Luke 1 and 2 tells us that when Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, met and did the pregnant bump, the Bible tells us that the babe, John the Baptist, leaped Inside the womb of his mother. So even before these babies were born, they were talking to each other. Because if you read the, how John the Baptist was conceived, he was conceived because his daddy and mama were old and couldn't do it anymore. They didn't have the medical help you all have now. Read your Bibles. You think I'm making this up? Read your Bible. So John the Baptist was born as a miracle because his mama and daddy were old and couldn't do it anymore. Jesus was born of a miracle when they did not do it. Could not do it. Did not do it. So both are miraculous babies. Obviously, your people need to read the Bibles. <laughs> and you online need to as well. But now, his cousin has been beheaded. Who is this cousin? One day, John the Baptist standing with his disciples, and he looks at Jesus across the street and says to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. That takes away the sins of the world. That was a testimony of cousin John the Baptist about his cousin Jesus. Jesus in turn says, he is the greatest man ever to be born. Son of God, greatest man. They had a weird relationship. John the Baptist came out baptizing. He was into leather and health foods. 
honey and locust. At the age of 30, Luke chapter 3, Jesus is coming out to be baptized. And guess who is baptizing him now? John the Baptist. So when somebody baptizes you, in a great sense, they become your pastor. This morning of this miracle of the feeding of the 10,000, his cousin has just been beheaded by the king Herod, the one who baptized him, the greatest man, the one who testified about him. Jesus is emotionally grief-stricken. He's distraught. While that is going on, his disciples just returned that morning from the evangelistic crusades. They are exhausted. They are excited. They are empty. They have nothing to give. Now, if you can imagine the Sea of Galilee as an oval. The day starts, the morning starts at the bottom end, at the south end. There are a few thousand people here who are listening to Jesus. But Jesus is so tired and exhausted. He gets in the boat and starts going up northeast in this lake, also known as Sea of Galilee. These people chase Jesus down on foot up the coast. When Jesus docks his boat, they are waiting for him. The crowds have swollen to over 10,000 people now. It is evening time. There is no food. Jesus sees the hungry people. But he is exhausted himself. The question is for us today, what do you do when you don't have it yourself? But there are people in front of you who have needs. What do you do when you are discouraged and they need encouragement? What do you do when you don't have financial resources but somebody else needs that? What do you do when you don't have a job and someone says, pray for me so I can get a job? What do you do when your marriage is going south and somebody says, pray for my marriage? What do you do when you are feeling like heaven is brass and your prayers are not being answered when somebody says, please pray for me? What do you do when you don't have it? And somebody else has a greater need. Jesus is exhausted. It is evening time. He's emotionally distraught. He is wrecked completely in his own personal life. His disciples, he's asking them a where question. He's not getting support from them. They are giving him a how answer. What do you do in the middle of all of that? So I want to give you one sentence and build on that for the next two, three hours. <laughs> Just to check if you're listening. Here's a sentence. My response in, in the middle of my need Positions me for abundance. My response in the middle of my need positions me for what? Abundance. Everyone together. In the middle of positions me for one more time. My response in the middle of positions me for. I'm here to tell you all of us have needs. But the question is, what is your response in the middle of your need? Because some of us get so needy that all we want to do is somebody pray for us. But there's somebody sitting next to you right now, somebody in your home online, somebody is there in your context, in your world, who's got a greater need. But it's because you are so focused on my need... 
that you forget that there's a great abundance waiting on how you respond to somebody else's need. One more time. It is in the middle of that positions me for. I want you to know if you have a need here this morning, you're the prime candidate for abundance in your life. Abundance is waiting for you right in the middle of your need. So number one, four quick things. Number one, number one. Abundance is being formed in the middle of your need. Abundance is being formed in the middle of your need. You may have a need here, doesn't matter, it could be a physical need, could be a financial need, could be a spiritual need, could be an emotional need, could be a relational need, it really doesn't matter. Whatever your need is, abundance is being formed in the middle of all of that. I remember it was uh, 1980. And Rachel had just been born, October 20th, 1980. Giving you away, baby. <laughs> she had just born. We were pastoring a church in Michigan. My wife and I were pastoring a church in Michigan at that time. But the church was barely paying us anything. We were being paid $125 a week before taxes, full time. <laughs> we were talking in the, in the back room there. Uh, when, when we met, when we met... I was the president of the university, and he was a student. He was making $1,500 a month at that time. Now he's making $1,600 a month. <laughs> so he was making $1,500 a month. I was making $1,000 a month before taxes. Married with two kids. So back to the church, $125 a week. Uh, but Rachel came in this world with high demand. Uh, she needed soy milk. Anybody in here ever had to buy soy milk for your babies? Ah, it's like gold in a can, isn't it not? I mean, it, it is just crazy outrageous. But we didn't have any money to buy that. Uh, Brenda and I were making sandwiches and half of it in lunchtime, half at dinner, and we just didn't have any money. So we decided we'll go apply for food stamps. So uh, the social services office was as far, if you walk from where I'm standing to the exit on the parking lot and come back, that's as far as the social service office was. So we uh, picked up little Rachel. I think she was month, two months old, something like that. Picked her up. Uh, Brenda and I, we walked down to the social services office. Uh, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. If you have ever applied for food stamps, you know the rest of the story. Government office. We walk in there. They give you this book to fill out on yourself. If you have never done, uh, applied for food stamps, I highly recommend you do. Because that will be, to, can turn into a book. You will find out more about yourself filling out that form <laughs> than you ever thought was possible. So Brenda and I filled that out. We're sitting there in the office and, and you get a number, you know, you get a number. And so after we filled out the, the form, you know, the book on yourself, you wait for a number to be called. A number got called. And you know, every government office, there's that one door out of which all the employees keep coming, go back and forth, but you don't know what's going on back there. 
So our number got called. We walked down the hallway. There are, there are doors on either side. There are caseworkers because you get assigned a caseworker. There are caseworkers behind every door. So we walk into this office that was a caseworker assigned to us. She looks at me. I look at her. She looks at me. I look at her. She looks at me and I look at her. She was a member of our church. Yeah, talk about awkward. Just for the heck of it. Can you say awkward? Mm-hmm. Hey, Pastor. How are you? That's not the time to say I'm blessed to be a blessing. Uh, that's poor timing, poor timing there. So she got my book. She entered all the data. She tried her best. After a while, she said, uh, I'm sorry, I can't help you. You're making too much money. I said, really? How much money too much am I making? She says, $22 a month. Now, in those days, I, you know, I was young, stupid, naive, arrogant, just stupid. If, if I knew then what I know now, I would have gone to, her, to my church. I would have gone to my church and said, cut my pay. How much? $22. Yeah, at least I'll have. Free milk, free cheese, free bread, free diapers. At least we will have food. But the conundrum is, so I had, we walked out of there with no food, you know, stamps or anything like that. But here's the conundrum. Remember, I'm pastoring a church. So how do I get behind the sacred desk and say, For my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When my refrigerator is empty, my pantry has no food, and my baby needs milk. How do you do that? How do you preach the words of Psalmist David? For my God, I was young, but now I am old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for me. How do I preach that? How do I say to you, hey, hang in there. Keep trusting God. He's going to come through for you. But on the inside, I'm saying, where are you? And that is the story before the story. How do you feed people when you are empty yourself? How do you give what you don't have? How do you trust God when you are hardly able to trust God for yourself? How do you speak a positive word into somebody else's life when you are going through hell in your own life? What do you do? And that's why I want to remind you, it is my response. (laughs) In the middle of my need that positions me for... Oh, you might be going through a needy time right now. If you stop looking at your need and start looking at what is my response, what is my, how am I responding in the moment? The second thing is, you got to know that abundance comes one step at a time. Abundance comes one step at a time. Now, you and I have read the story. Where Jesus says, I want to feed them. They brought him some food. 
Next thing you know, we fast forward the story and they got 12 baskets full left over. So we go from scarcity to abundance just like that. But if you were to rewind this tape and look at it again, there are many steps. First of all, Jesus sees there's a need. Number two, he says, I'm going to do something about it. He starts asking the disciples, where, where can we feed them? He goes to the argument of where and how. And then they bring him some food. Then he says to them, set them down in rows of 50 and 100. He had to organize the church folk before he fed them. How many of you know hungry church folk? I mean, you barely saved to begin with. And when somebody gets between you and food, not a good day. So he organizes them. He takes the bread and the fishes. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it to the disciples. Disciples give it to them. Whatever is left over, 12 baskets. Are you following this? How many steps there were in between the need being ascribed and the abundance being demonstrated? Whatever you're looking for will not start with the 12 baskets. It's going to start with whatever step you got to take to get to your abundance. My question for you is, what's the next step you got to do? If you're looking for, can we just talk about this? If you're looking for a job, guess what you got to do? Look for a job. Get off your knees. Stop praying. How's that working out for you? God is not going to slip in a piece of paper under the door. When I'm waiting on God, you're going to die. <laughs> Call somebody. Get on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Beg, borrow. What have you got to do? Apply for I remember when I was the president at Beulah Heights. I'd, I'd go and speak somewhere like this, and somebody would meet me out there and say, Dr. Chen, I want to attend college. Don't know if I had the money. Fair question. My question was always, have you applied for financial aid? No, not yet. I feel like slapping them in Jesus' name. Get on your computer. God is inside the computer. God will, on your screen, will tell you. God will ask you questions. Put in your information. God will tell you yes. God will tell you no. God will tell you how much. You want money? Apply for it. One step at a time. If you're sitting on this side of the church and you're looking at a young lady on that side of the church and you want to hook up, (laughs) walk up to her and say, what are you doing for lunch? If she says no, ask her friend. Do something. If you are in debt, can I tell you how to get out of debt? Stop praying. Number one, start, stop making more debt. Number two, start paying off on your debt. Well, you know, the demon of debt. Ain't no demon of debt. You made the debt.
You signed for that car. You signed for whatever. And now you're in the mess not because the devil. I'm trying to make it as plain as I can. Because abundance comes just one step at a time. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now walk it out one step at a time. You know the super spiritual people that give me the heebie-jeebies. It's like, you know, I'm just waiting on God. God will show me. No, God is saying, walk. If you want to leave this room, He's not going to tell you how to walk. You walk down the steps and walk out of the room. God doesn't have to tell you everything. One step at a time. My question for you is you have a need. What is the very first thing you need to do? What's that phone call? What's that email? That very first step. If you don't take the first step, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Abundance comes one step at a time. Number three, keep your eyes on the source of the abundance. Keep your eyes on what? The source. The source is not the fish and chips. The the source is not the mama who packed the lunch. The source is not the boy who's carrying the lunch. The source is not the disciples who snatched the lunch. The source is the Lord. Look, look, look at me for a second. Look at me for a second. You go to a restaurant. Imagine this is a menu. This is a menu. This is a menu in a, in a restaurant. On this side are all the items. On this side is what? The prices. Items and prices. I got two daughters. Rachel is right here. My favorite daughter is at home right now. I'm <laughs> named <name> Debbie. <laughs> this is our running family joke. Uh, when they go out to eat by themselves, <laughs> which column is the deciding column? In fact, do you want to share? But when they're with me, it's like I have an order. I'm going to eat here and order to go. Can I give you both orders right now? Because all of a sudden, this column becomes what? Invisible. It's like this is not even there. It's all about over here. Can I tell you, you're living this life not because of this column. But you, wherever you go, daddy goes with you. You need to go up, but Father is with you. You got to keep your eyes on the source. Because when they are with me, all of a sudden, this column goes away. And this column is totally available. Oh, somebody needs to make up your mind that what you're going through in life is not going to be because of people around you. Because God shall supply all my needs. I've lived long enough to know this. Doesn't matter what I'm going through. God has abundance in mind for me. Not scarcity, but abundance. He's asking where? And I got to stop saying how. So let me give you number four. Matthew chapter 16, verse 9. Matthew chapter 16, verse 9. I'm reading out the NIV version. Matthew chapter 16, verse 9. Do you still not understand? 
Don't you remember? The five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered. Here's the story. I leave this. Yeah, thank you, media. Amazing media team here. Do you still not understand? So you heard the story. Remember Jesus has just fed the 10,000 people? Just 10,000 men, not counting women and children. Three days later, Jesus and his disciples, 13 of them, are on a boat. Same lake. They're on a boat. There is a discussion that ensues between the disciples. One of them says, hey, did you pack lunch? The other says, no, you are going to stop by Kroger. (laughs) So they start having this discussion as to where's the food? And they probably said, you know how he is when he wakes up. He's going to wake up hungry and grouchy. (laughs) Jesus overhears their conversation. Because their conversation is, we have a need of food. Or we don't have food. Jesus wakes up, says to the twelve, here we go. What's his first question to them? Do you... Still not understand. What are the next three words? Don't you remember? Three days later, they have forgotten. We were in the same dilemma. There were 10,000 people. There's only 13 of us here. We had the same circumstance. Hungry, no food. Jesus says to them, don't you... Remember, I want everyone to say that with an attitude. One, two, three. Don't you remember remember when you didn't have a job, I still supplied food for you. Don't you remember when you were dead in your sins, I brought you out. Don't you remember when you were in the hospital, I brought you out. Don't you remember when you didn't have clothes, I put clothes on your back and shoes on your feet and a roof on your head. Don't you remember when you were not qualified, I still gave you the job. Don't you remember when you were not up for a promotion, I made a promotion for you. Don't you remember when you started a business and thought it was not going to happen, I gave favor to your business. Don't you remember... Ah, it's so easy for us to forget the miracle he just did three days ago. Those 12 baskets are still fresh somewhere. And we start whining about, oh God, please heal me. Maybe sometimes we just need to stop and stop asking and say, I just want to sit here and say thank you. Thank you for being so good to me. Thank you for being faithful in my life. Thank you for being there every moment. Thank you when I was down, you picked me up. Thank you when I had no hope, you gave me hope. Thank you when I was discouraged, you picked me up. Thank you when I had no food, you gave me food. Thank you when I had no money, you gave me money. Thank you when I had no car, you gave me a ride. Thank you when I had no job, you gave me a job. Thank you when I had no church, you brought me into new covenant. Thank you when I needed a word, you gave me great pastors. Thank you, Lord, when I was looking for somebody, somebody showed up. Thank you. All I want to do is say, 
Thank you. Oh, somebody in here just needs to lift up your hand right now and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, this will be a great moment just for 30 seconds to say, I love you. I thank you. You've been so good in my life. I appreciate you. I praise you. I love you. I want to say thank you. Uh, Yes, 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 yes. I remember, I remember, I remember. Uh, 1973. I was 20. I came to America in 1973, 20 years old. Couldn't get a job because some of you remember 1973, 74 were bad years. Right now we pay extra for gas, last for gas. In those days you could not get gas. Uh, those of us who are willing to admit we are old enough to remember that. The license plates, car tags, odd numbers, got gas on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Even got it the other days. I could not get a job because I was a student. And as a foreign student, you got to have a work permit. Otherwise, you're illegal. I remember going up and down Burn Street. Burn Street, the university is on. Knock on people's doors. And they'd come to the door and say, can I rake your lawn? Can I cut your grass? Can I sweep your sidewalk? Can I wash your windows? Can I clean your gutters? And they said, go away. And I said, I'll do it for you free. They say, what do you want? So I would say to them, I'll do, after I'm done, they'll fix me a sandwich. And that's how life was in those days. Uh, right at Moreland and Ormwood. Right at Moreland and Ormwood. You, your mind should be going back there. Was a grocery store known as Simpsons. The mom and pop grocery store. Something, yeah, so you're remembering that. Grocery store, Simpsons. Uh, it was about half the size of this room. About half the size of this room. And I walked over there. Uh, there's a pizza place there now, and it's been redeveloped. Azio's is there, and so on and so forth now. And I walked in there and asked for the manager, and the manager came out, and I said, uh, Sir, uh, do you ever throw food away? This is now 1974 now. He says, this is right here in Southeast Atlanta. Do you ever throw food away? He said, uh, yeah, we have to. You know, uh, everything has an expiration date on it. So I asked him, have you heard of hungry children in India? He said he had. I said, well, the Indian is here. (laughs) So I walked around the store with him. How many of you remember uh, they used to have those chest coolers? You remember now, now you got those fancy doors you got to open the freezer section, chest coolers. And how many of you remember Tombstone Pizza? What a great marketing name, right? Tombstone. (laughs) Eat and die. (laughs) 
and, and, and on the, you know, how right, tightly wrapped it was in cellophane. You remember that cellophane wrapping? And the back was this expression. So I asked him, do you throw these away? He said, yeah, I got to throw that away too. I got, I, he said, everything's got a date on this. In this store, everything has a date on it. But you, he could not give it to me. Legal reasons. So every so often, this is 1974, now I'm a student at Beulah Heights at that time as well. So every so often, I would go to Simpson's. Help him pack the food he was going to throw away. But he could not give it to me. We'd come out of the back door. And the back of the parking lot was a six-foot commercial dumpster. He could not give it to me. So I said to him, throw it in real carefully. He would throw it in. I had to wait for him to go back inside the door and close the door behind him. Then I jump into the dumpster. Now, in case you are into dumpster diving, can I give you some professional advice? It's easier to get in the inside scenery is totally different from the outside. Inside is grimy and slimy, and yes, inside some of God's creatures are stirring and moving, and new ones are being born. Knee deep in trash, Bible college student, travel from India, because my God shall supply. But right now, I'm in a dumpster. I take that food, throw it out, jump out, put it under my arm, walk down Ormwood, take a left and burn, and come back to Beulah Heights. Abundance is being formed in your dumpster right now. I remember, I was, remember, I remember I was at 12 Stone Church, 12 Stone Church in Lawrenceville. You know, they got about 18,000, 20,000 people this morning, you know, big, big, big place. And, and they asked me to tell my story. This is a number of years ago, maybe four or five years ago. And, and I was up there just telling them this story. This, that what I just told you, I told this. After that, I was at a book signing table, signing books. And this family walks up to me, very old man. And obviously his children, his grandchildren, they walk up to my table. I'm Mr. Simpson. When his family when his family was feeding this immigrant. They had no idea that one day this immigrant would be preaching in their church. Somebody needs to know in your dumpster, in your dumpster, in your dumpster, in your dumpster, God is at work. 
He's pulling you out. Oh, somebody needs to say, that's for me. That's for me. That's for me. It is my response in the middle of my need that positions me for. I don't know where you are. And to God, it makes no difference. But maggots might be crawling around your knees. And it might be stinking as bad as it can get. And right then in 1974, I could not picture this morning. But heaven, heaven, heaven could see me at the point of scarcity. And heaven could see me at my point of abundance. Oh, You may not see it, but abundance is on the way to your home, to your house. Oh, somebody needs to know, no matter where you are in life, you might be dumpster diving today. You can't see tomorrow, but heaven could see April 23, 2017 at New Covenant. Speaking to the people in the house and online. Somebody needs to know that's for you. 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 you. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information on other products and materials, please contact us at 770-484-9300, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit our website at www.newcov.org. If you're in the Atlanta area, we invite you to join us for one of our dynamic services. Once again, thank you for receiving the living word of God from New Covenant Christian Ministries, where we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ.